For the past several weeks, we have been dealing with the God of the Bible's relationship to war and its results. Let's continue our study of Deuteronomy chapter 20 by joining Dave Wurtson, our Truth Encounter discussion leader, as he talks with us about times when life just doesn't add up. God will often ameliorate a situation that's bad. It's not the expression of his heart. We're going to find out when we look at Deuteronomy chapter 24. The heartbeat of God is one man and one woman till death do its part. But sometimes it doesn't work like that. That's why Jesus said, absolutely no divorce. But there can be immorality. There can be things that come in that sledgehammer relationship. And then we need to realize that God doesn't just divorce himself from the hardness of life. And I want to really challenge you, don't give in to the hardness of life, but your life isn't through when bad things happen. You see, people that get real rigid and real locked in, they create ideals, and when, the, when life doesn't add up like that, it's the end of their life. I've dealt with men and women who have interpreted the Bible in real neat categories, and everything lines up, and everything's neat, and, and they've got God completely figured out, and then life goes crazy, and the unthinkable becomes the thinkable, the unhappenable, you know, to create a word becomes a happening. What do you do then? And I'm so glad for some teachers early in my life that says, Dave, let God be God. Don't you decide what God can do and what he can't do. And one of the things you're going to find out about God is that God comes into the terrible mess of husbands that, that leave their wives and wives that leave their husbands, and he tries to somehow bring about peace. And what he says to this guy, if you don't like her and you divorce her, you can't make her a slave. You need to set her free in Israel, which would mean she could have land. It could mean she could have livelihoods. It meant she was a full citizen among the people of God. In an ancient time where sometimes women were traded like oxes, and so at first, when we first think about this passage, we might retaliate from it and feel like, I, for my first response to passage like this is, God, how in the world could you ever do that? Listen and think and let God talk to you about what's underneath and why he's doing what he's doing. And just don't jump to conclusions. What we have here is that God will enter into the messiness of your life. My sister was sharing me with this past week. Her pastor said something very, very important. He's dealt with some really tough things up there in his home church. And he's wrestled with some people that are just hitting him in the head with, how could you ever relate to this situation? How could you ever be involved in this? And, and my sister's pastor said something that really touched me this week. He said, you know, Betsy, says, my job, my job is to help people to live as close to God as they can and as, as much in love with them as they can in the circumstances where I find them. That's a great expression, the heartbeat of God. Aren't you glad for a God that doesn't say, boy, you guys blew it again. There's war, and there's, and there's marriages that break up, and all of this chaos on planet Earth, I'm leaving. I'm going to get out of here and just go somewhere else in the universe. Aren't you glad God didn't do that? I don't understand everything about him. I'm going to tell you that straight up. But one thing I know about the God of the universe and the God of the Bible, the real God that's there gets up to his armpits in real human existence. 
And he very wisely and tenderly, like a good ruler, like a good daddy, tries to bring up peace and tries to make bad situations not quite as harmful. But I want to share something else that's really tough. You know what? The Lord God of the universe is not just some kind, gracious, gentle grandfather who's weak and will never deal with you with strength. He will never discipline you. Some of you might have had a daddy that, man, he would always tell you, man, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, but he never did it. And a lot of us think that God's like that. We live in a society right now that really believes there's no punishment. You can do anything you want, and there's no punishment. It's the dominant feeling of our culture today. There should be no punishment. The only time we feel there should be punishment is when somebody did something bad to us, and then we want to punish them. But as soon as we get a little bit away from that, no punishment. The next passage of Scripture I need to deal with, the Lord God of the universe says, there's times when I have to cut the malignancy out. And the next portion of Scripture is really tough. Let's look at it. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 20. It says this in verse 16. However, in the cities of the nations the Lord your God is giving you, that would be the seven nations of Canaan, it says, do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Otherwise, why? This is why God says you need to completely destroy them. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worship. And you will worship their God and you will sin against the Lord your God. What is the Lord saying in this verse? He's saying, with the Canaanites... With this seven-nation group of people that control the Holy Land that God gave to you, you need to completely destroy them. Everything. Men, women, children, everything has to go. And I wish I could get around that, to be really honest with you. I've, I've checked out the Hebrew. I'm trying to, I just can't get around it. You say, why would God ever do that? Because sin is sin. And I want to share with you something. Sin, it doesn't just influence your own personal life. Sin infiltrates your family. It infiltrates the generations. And it's passed on. It's, it's like a malignancy. It's very infectious. It's very powerful. And like I've shared with you in the past, God began to work with these seven nations years and years before this, 400 years before this. God sent Abraham to them. He sent Jacob to them. He sent Jacob's father Isaac to them. He took his own people, took them down into Egypt and said, all right, Amorites and Hittites and Jebusites, you're going to have 400 years to think about the message of natural revelation that I've given you. Every day the sun gets up and deep in your heart you have a conscience. You know that worshiping sexuality and worshiping violence and worshiping the laws of nature, just worshiping things, you know in your heart that there's someone much bigger than that. And I'm going to give you 400 years to respond. They didn't respond. And so when Moses delivered the people and Joshua stood poised in the land, Joshua said, for you to exist as a nation, you've got to destroy these people. And Joshua says, why? Because if you let them live, if you let any of them live, you'll be infected with their idolatry. And if you get infected with their idolatry, exactly what I'm telling you should be done to them will be done to you. I want you to think about all that. Because you know the amazing thing about this issue of the extermination of people, let me take one of the exterminations, okay? Jericho. 
Some of you are saying today, Dave, I'm not going to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I don't like God. Let's, I'm just being really honest with you. This is the biggest thing I hear. I'll say, why don't you want to believe in the Son? Why don't you want to accept Him? They say, I don't like what He does. Look at the world. Look how bad it is. Look at all the terrible things that happen. And then they say, what about these Canaanites? Look what God did in the Old Testament. He's a cruel, vindictive, evil person. You need to read the Bible really carefully. Let's take one of the cities, Jericho. There's a prostitute in this city named Rahab. In your book, what do you think about a prostitute? How many of you have really prayed this week for the prostitutes in Dallas? Let's be honest. Some of you that really walk close to the Lord probably have. Some of you that have been in our church family a long time remember in our own church family how we brought a girl in and really tried to minister her. She, we got involved with her through, she was up in Nebraska. They really get around and dad came in contact with her. She almost got killed and ended up in a hospital in Nebraska. And we got really involved in her life. So you have cared for prostitutes. But to be honest with you, most people don't care a lot about prostitutes. There was a prostitute in Jericho. And she started hearing things about this people coming up out of Egypt. And I don't know why. I don't know why, but she decided those people have the real God. And I'm a prostitute, but if those people ever come here, I'm going to do something. I'm going to get with those people. Some spies came to her city one day. A house of irrepute, if you're going to be a spy, any of you guys, you need to, as a believer, you need to be really careful not to do any hanky-panky, but if you're ever at war, the place to be safe is in a house of irrepute. The Bible is very honest and very real. That's the way war works. And so these spies are trying to infiltrate the city, trying to find out where the fortifications are and where, what's going on. So they go to this house, because no one's going you know, no to suspect you know, anything there. That's where, that's where all strangers go. That's where traveling people go. And these guys begin to tell Rahab, something clicked in there. The guys tell her what they're going to happen. And Rahab says something incredible to these spies. She says, I want you to remember me. I believe in your God. I believe what he did in Egypt. There's a knock on the door, and in a split second of time, Rahab could have just let the spies be taken. Everything screamed. You know, I'm a Jerichoite. These are Israelites. We're different people. Instead, Rahab quickly finds a place, just like the hiding place in World War II, finds a special place where they can hide. And then she tells the people at the door, no, they were here just a few hours ago, but man, you know, they, they took off. They went that way. And, and she even gave them careful instructions after the men of her city came about how they could be delivered. They said, you run up the mountains. Don't run back towards your people. Run up into the mountains right over here where David fled many years later. Go up to the mountains of Engedi area. They'll never find you up in those rugged hills. That's still true today. Wait there until all the search parties are ended. Then go back to your people. Then what did God do when Joshua and the armies came to Jericho? Remember, you all, all you kids know this story. Remember strange military tactics. They march around the city seven times. The seventh time they blow trumpets. That's enough to bring any walls down. They blew the trumpets, the walls come down, and remember that everyone's exterminated except for one household. See, you get angry with God. I really try to be honest with you. I wrestle with the same feelings that you have. And I want to tear up certain portions of the Bible. I want to ignore them. A lot of pastors have been ignoring sections of Scripture for years. Just the way it is. There's something in God's Word that are really tough. 
But you need to ask yourself, listen long enough. Look what the Lord God of the heaven did. Here's a prostitute in the city of Jericho under the ban, total destruction. Everyone's destroyed, but General Joshua says in the book of Joshua, bring out Rahab and her household, and they all live. They not only lived, they not only lived, but Rahab became part of the kingly line of the Messiah. And that's the amazing grace of God. So if you're going to get mad at God, you say, well, now how could God ever do this? Because God takes sin seriously. God takes those impulses in our life to lie and to cheat and to do evil things. God takes them really seriously. And he says, you've got to cut them out. And God is doing that in the Old Testament nationally. He needs to cut out the Canaanites. But there's grace in that. There's a Rahab in that. And God protects her. And there's other instances where we have Canaanites. Uriah the Hittite. The Hittites are one of the Canaanite people, and Uriah is one of David's mighty men. How did he get there? Because there might be a statement of judgment, but there's always the exception. What about Jonah? Jonah goes to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Remember I told you about the Assyrians? They're the armies that cut people's heads off and put their heads on stakes and put them at the border to the lands they defeat. They're the one that just rip pregnant women open. They're the most heinous, vicious Nazis of the Old Testament, you might say. Jonah goes and preaches to them. Says, God's going to destroy your city. Jonah loved that. Destroy Nineveh. Man, he loved preaching that when he finally got there. And then you know what God did? God said, the whole city, greatest revival ever happened. Over 500,000 people got saved. I mean, that is an evangelistic crusade. I mean, the whole place, they not only, only raise their hand and walk forward, man, they tear their clothes, anoint their head with sackcloth and ashes. They cry for hour after hour, dear God, forgive us. I mean, you've got real Assyrian change. You know what Jonah did? He got flipped out and angry. Man, he was ticked off. Most evangelists, you know, ask for more money. Look at all the people that got saved. <laughs> what does Jonah do? Jonah says, Lord, how could you save all these people? I thought you were going to kill them. Great guy. I love evangelists like that. It's always an encouragement to me. I mean, if God could use Jonah with a heart like that, he could use anybody. But God ends the book of Jonah with a great statement. He says, Jonah, remember that story, weird story? This vine grows up, gives shade to Jonah. He's relishing the vine. And then the vine shrivels. You know, God loves it. Just, and he's baking out there in the hot sun. He gets really furious because he, he's so brokenhearted over this fallen vine. And God comes to him and says, Jonah, you're all upset about a plant. He said, don't you realize that there's 500,000 people in this city that don't know their left hand from their right hand? They're just little kids that haven't even had a chance to figure out what's right and wrong yet? And you're angry at me because I didn't pour down my wrath upon them. Instead, I gave them my love. You see, if you're really going to understand God, you're going to have to read all the book. Don't just pick and choose those parts that make you upset. You'll never get to know God that way. You've got to listen to every single part to get to know the heart of God. The God of the Bible is not the God that I teach you. I'm trying to get you to know him. I'm trying to get myself to know him. But you know what God screamed at me? He didn't scream at me, but he said, David, don't, don't mess around with me. He said, don't you teach your people what you want to teach about me. 
He said, you can't just skip over some of the things that I say. I said, but boy, it just, it's not going to work. He says, listen, I called you to proclaim and teach my word. Don't you mess with me. And he also said, don't you, don't you make me so nice. Don't make me into the figment of what you would like the ultimate daddy in heaven to be like. Because I'm really here. And I really am someone that at times will pour out my wrath. There are people that lose their life. I want to make something very clear as I close. Reading this passage, I am scared to death to fall away from my Savior Jesus Christ and to fall into sin. And I want every one of you, I want every little child, I want every single teenager, I want every single college student, I want every single adult, I want you to be scared to get out of his people and to, and to go out there. You say, Dave, why are you so exercised about this? I had a friend, a mother, sitting in a church just like yours. And her heart began to wander away from her husband. She wandered into Canaanite. That's what the Canaanites did. There's no moral commitment in marriage among Canaanites. You go to the temple on Sunday morning. They didn't go on Sunday. They went other days. But that, what they did, is they, they all got together. Instead of saying the word of God, instead of learning about the moral God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, instead of being taught the Ten Commandments like you have, they just went ahead and had the party right here. They all got drunk, and then they all had immoral relationship with each other. That's what they did. And they got together in church. That's Canaanite. And just to be really frank and honest with you, that's what some of you do. That's what you've done. I've been here for a long time. I can think of people that were here, that were hearing the word of God taught. They wandered out into the Canaanite world. This wife did that. Thought nobody knew. Carried on an affair with another guy. She began to develop a plan. I, 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 need, to, I need to be able to make this illicit relationship go. She even hired a couple guys. So one night... She called and said, I think there's a problem down by the horses. And her husband went out, and, those, and two of the guys that she hired jumped him and beat his head in. It was a wife's plan. That's the way life is, brothers and sisters. It's not your nice cultural Christianity. You monkey around with immorality. You monkey around with sin. If you wives or you husbands have other illicit loves that begin to play your heart. You are playing with a dark, violent, vicious world. It's not just fun and games. The choices are not, oh, I can have Jesus a little bit, and I can have the world a little bit, and it's oh so sweet and kind. There's darkness underneath this thing, brothers and sisters. There's power of evil underneath. This friend says, they didn't kill her husband. He was able to somehow get away, and he came to the house, and he walked into the house, and the blood streaming from the wound in his head. And this friend said, something snapped in me. I said, what in the world am I doing? What in the world am I doing? What have I become? Telephone rings. Girl that listens to our radio program on the East Coast, crying on the phone. She says, boy, I'm so glad I got a hold of you. I could tell, you know, when people were, she had that heavy tone in her voice. She talked a little bit about listening to Truth Encounter and what Truth Encounter meant. Then she said, would you please call my sister? I said, why? She said, because I just found out that my sister, at the end of January, took her husband's life. So I called the girl up. 
And we talked, and the girl said, you know, I, I received Christ. I'm a born-again believer. I did receive Christ. I went to a church. She named the church, received Christ. Then I wandered away. I got involved with the guy. The guy was abusive. He had a criminal record. He's been involved in alcohol and drugs, probably. But what do you tell a girl? She said, what do I do? And we prayed. And the Lord's trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again, but as I hung up that phone, the Lord Jesus is saying, you've got to cut out the Canaanite in your life. And we live in an American society with an American church that thinks Canaanite is normal. We play with it. We think it's very easygoing. We think it, we're kind of like playing with TNT. And we need to realize that it's a very powerful, vicious, destructive thing. And what I've said to you today is very difficult, but if you are my kids, those of you that are little, you are my kids. I'm just telling you, in the midst of all of your questions, in the midst of all that you wonder about Jesus, I want to just share with you, and I want to share with every one of you, as life develops, you're going to find out that the things that we've learned from the Word of God are very, very real. And you can choose to join with God's kingdom, and you can build your life on his Son. And in the New Testament, he says, I don't want anyone to die. Because in the time of grace, God isn't dealing with the national people anymore. He's now dealing with the spiritual people. And God says the warfare has changed completely. Right now is a time period where God's not exterminating anybody. He says, my heart is that you might believe. But I want you to realize, even during this time of grace, when the lightning doesn't strike, it's still very important to make that choice totally and completely for him. If there's a young mother that's thinking about wandering away, please stay with the son. If you've wandered into sin, men and women, there's forgiveness at Calvary. Claim that forgiveness. If you've already claimed it, rest in it. And let your little venture into Canaanite territory use this morning to say, Lord, create a tremendous fear in my heart to monkey one little bit with evil. Give me, a, a, give me a, a, just a feeling deep inside, a passion for you and a passion against what is against you. And help me to deal ruthlessly with the sin in my heart. And you'll be safe. There are some things that are just too dangerous and too infectious not to take seriously. And sometimes the physician of the universe says, it's got to be cut out. Just like the physicians at Baylor are not trying to destroy Debbie's life. They're trying to heal her. In the Old Testament with the Canaanites, God wasn't trying to destroy the human race. He was trying by a miracle of his grace to somehow create a people that would be separate from the Canaanites. And they would live and create the Messiah. If some of you are really upset about God exterminating the Canaanites, let me just say one last thing. They didn't. Everyone's always worried about the Canaanites. The Canaanites lived among the Israelites. They're still with us today. They got a few cities. They got Hatzor. They defeated the coalition of kings. But the book of Judges, chapter 2, that begins the next period of Israel's history, said they didn't do it. The Canaanites became one with the Israelites. The whole rest of the Old Testament is the story of Israel penetrated by Canaanite, Canaanite worship. You know whose babies were destroyed? Israel's babies. 
in the Assyrian captivity, they were destroyed. Not by God, by the Assyrians. God was ultimately in control of it. But the Israelites became the Canaanites, and they were destroyed by the Assyrians. At 586, Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian destroyed the babies of Jerusalem. When Jesus came, Herod destroyed the babies of Israel again. Saladin, Crusades, Adolf Hitler. Down to the centuries, the nation of Israel has had their babies destroyed because they didn't do what God told them to do, just like us. But the Bible ends with a new day when finally Israel's heart's going to respond to the Savior. And the line of the tribe of Judah is going to come in Revelation 19. And there's going to be right on the earth. And finally, his physical national people, the Jewish people, according to Zechariah, will look upon the one that they pierced and their heart will break. And Jesus is going to defeat their enemies. He's going to destroy the final Hitler that's going to come against that people called the Antichrist. And he's going to set up a kingdom of peace and earth, goodwill and men. Brothers and sisters, young people and adults, if you're a person that longs for peace on earth, goodwill towards men, please don't put your hope in the dreams of socialism, the dreams of government, whether it's a politician saying this or saying that. I don't care whether you're Republic or Democrat. Please don't give your life to utopian dreams of men. But I want to challenge every one of you, give your heart and your soul to the Son of God, who is the only one who can truly act in justice, totally consistent with his love and mercy. Father, we'd ask you that we've talked about some really difficult things. And Lord, I wouldn't ask any of my brothers and sisters to completely agree with what I've shared. Lord, I think one of the main things I wanted to get across is just the radical commitment that every one of us need to make to stand before you and realize that you are really there. And you reveal your personality and your word, and all of us need to keep listening to every word of your holy scripture. And we need to allow you to teach us about yourself and give us the wisdom to know why you do what you do when, you, when you're willing to tell us why but also being willing to submit to you and believe you when we don't know why.